So this evening I'd like to share um, some reflections on the teaching and the practice of the five daily recollections, which I don't know if you're all familiar with. Oh, <laughs> that's nice. I got a thumbs up. I like that. Thank you very much. <laughs> I um, yes, I I have. Uh, Well, let's just, just see how it goes, right? So I wanted to offer, a, as I seem to have done all the three talks I've done so far, a little a teaching story that may serve as a, a little summary. So if you know if you miss the rest of it, anyway. So here's the, <laughs> here's the. So you maybe know this story. I hope I, have a version of it, teaching story. I don't know actually where it comes from. And it's the story of a person, could be you or me, a person, who is, is running through the forest pursued by tigers. And this person comes to the edge of a cliff. And uh, it's the only way. So kind of kind of gets over the edge and manages to sort of climb down a little way on this this vine, you know, let me look at oh and the tiger the tigers are at the top growling and you know, imagine they're really big teeth. And uh, they must be very hungry. And so and so this person, maybe you or me, <laughs> clinging to the vine. And uh mm. Ooh and then looks down and sees at the bottom of the cliff more tigers, very hungry ones. And whilst clinging to the vine, which the person, you or me, we look and we realize this thing is coming unstuck. It's coming out of the cliff and we, there's a little mouse chewing through the vine. So we know, okay. Mm, kind of know what's going to happen here. <laughs> and just in that moment, this person, you or me, we see growing out of the cliff a little wild strawberry plant with a little beautiful, one, this beautiful little wild strawberry and you just manage to reach over, still holding onto the vine with the other hand, and pluck the strawberry and put it in your mouth. And do you know that? pop of taste as you bite into the strawberry. Delicious. That's the end of the story. Right. You know what happens. And that's what this talk is about. Isn't it? So, so um, before I go through the five daily recollections, I I, I find it helpful to remember that this teaching, along with all of the Buddha's teachings, are offered out of compassion for us. And um, that this teaching is for our benefit, that it's a compassionate offering. And it's, it's part of the teaching a practice that can liberate our hearts from clinging. 
It's the great compassion of the Buddha. And as I was just standing just now looking at the Buddha Rupa and just kind of contemplating that and and I, I, I kind of uh, had that perception of the, the peace and the, just the beautiful peacefulness of that face. And I thought, um, this is what Buddhas know and understand. They know and understand. I am of the nature to grow old. I, you, we are of the nature to get sick I, you, we are of the nature to die all that is dear to us will change and vanish And all beings are the owners of our karma. So, this apparently is very good news. (laughs) Really? So part of the, I guess, the intention of this talk and invitation is for us to perhaps spend a little time contemplating this together. And maybe to, you know, connect with an understanding you already have about this and how it is that it's what Buddhas know. Um, And how can we, how can we hear this teaching? How can we practice with this teaching in a way that, uh, yeah, brings happiness, freedom of heart. It's a condition for the arising of wisdom and compassion. So I don't know how, how that works for you. And again, though, we each have to find our own way, our own connection with each practice, with each teaching, to really understand how to really listen, you know, how to receive that and how to understand how it is um, a, a joy bringer, a truth bearer, in a way which is actually uplifting. But also that in contemplating these things in my, in my own life and my own practice, and I see with others that, you know, there is a territory to cross. There is a kind of emotional territory to cross you know, that can be very difficult at times, very joyful at times, very confusing at times. And just in the longer, perhaps broader view of this, to be, you know, to be very generous in that way of, 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 you know, again, again, it's the same with any practice, isn't it? That we include ourselves, that we include what's difficult or what we don't understand or no, you know, resistance (laughs) and just to be able to be generous in that way and to really trust the Buddha that that you know that this teaching is offered for our benefit 
And then for us, each of us, isn't it? We, we just have to, again and again, in these different ways, with these different teachings, of understand by practicing how, how, how it is of benefit. And I think another reason why this came so strongly to mind is that I first met this teaching here. I mean, I've probably heard of it, but maybe it was kind of like the first time it really was like, you know, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it was when I was here in 2005 on a work retreat, and it was on the board at that time. It was actually on the notice board. And I remember, you know, as you do when you're new here, sort of padding around rather wide-eyed, you know, thinking, Ooh, you know, seeing what's here, and and then meeting this kind of, thing on the board and feeling like I'd just been slapped in the face with a wet sock. <laughs> Not very pleasant. Ooh. But this is this is how the Buddhist teachings work sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes they come as this sort of soft thing and sometimes it's like being hit with a wet sock. And, you know, he uses much stronger images than that. Doesn't he? I mean, it's, it's like sometimes it's really like you can tell he's like getting hold of people and shaking them like um, So I, I, I remember reading this on the board and then just thinking, oh, all right then. And then I just didn't get That was it for several years, I have to, I have to confess. Like it just didn't do anything for me at all. And I couldn't, I couldn't see the way. And so a few years ago, I kind of thought, well, okay, let's, you know, Let's approach this. Let's <laughs> going through the, and and particularly this particular practice of teaching. As some of you well know, um, it's an invitation, perhaps, to approach something that that is you don't understand in order to understand more and be able to offer, perhaps, out of that. Um, another image that came to mind that I I I show. I don't know if you get this but that these when I I try I try I started practicing is and I walk around and I'd sit and I'd be going I am of the nature to age I am of the nature to get old and, and I would be kind of like this kind of like trying to sort of pound it in you know and and it was just not working it was just not <laughs> it was not sustainable I got this image of um, there's a film by Monty Python, Holy Grail film, and there's an image in there of of monks walking around in a circle, hitting their foreheads on the with a, 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 a rectangular tablet of wood, thud, thud like this, and I thought that's exactly how it feels. This can't be right. <laughs> And so there was a period of re reflection and you know what this is like. You know, you take a teaching and you live with it for a while and you, and you practice it and you repeat it and you walk around and you wonder and then you get frustrated and you drop it and you pick it up again <laughs> and you think, how does this work? How does this work? Um, and it started to shift and change. And again, I had, I had a bit of a bit of a shift in the bath actually I don't know how significant that is but you know they can sometimes help with things can't they in the bath it's nice for reversive types maybe it's like 
Yeah, get in the bath, it might help. I don't... <laughs> well, you know, there's somewhere in the... Somewhere in the... I'm not very good on all the commentarial kind of tradition, but isn't there... Like it says, if you're a verse, you should live in a nice cootie with nice pictures and... Yeah. And so, you know, something in that. I don't know what you greed types have to do with this, but... Um, so... Um, Oh, I lost my, lost my place. Where was I? I was in the bath. No wonder I've lost my place. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it came to me that maybe from my, from my mind at that time, I needed something, and I know I've perhaps, you know, I can probably overemphasize gentleness sometimes in some ways, but it ne- I needed to be a kind of, Rather than feel like I'm being thumped with something, I needed to more like have a gentler approach, like have the teaching kind of approach me gently and bow and say hello and you know and and so I came up with this version of this which I'd like to share with you now, and I'll repeat it again at the end, and I'll put it up on the board, so don't worry you don't have to remember and if you're interested, it will be on the board <laughs> which is which goes as follows: breathing gently. I lovingly remember this body is aging. Oh, okay. Maybe I can. Maybe I can. I can actually begin to take that in, and that it's is compassionately intended. So, breathing gently, I lovingly remember this body is vulnerable to illness. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember this body will die. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember that loss is part of life. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember to meet this moment with wisdom. So, again, I, I don't mean to be the, you know, the Dharma salesperson here and like try to sell you on this one. <laughs> it's, your, it's just an offering and it's kind of one of the principles that's in operation here that I've spoken about a little bit, I've, I feel like I've mentioned it, is this principle of translating practice teachings not as a an end point but you know and not as a way of making it completely personal this is my view and so this is how I'm going to practice it but somehow bringing the traditional teachings and then kind of is some kind of alchemy some kind of process where we're okay how did what can this mean to me you know how do I understand how can I understand this how can I connect with it how can I let it be a heart you know a kind of something that speaks the language of the heart as well as the language of thought or concept or idea. Because for me, and I know it's different for different people with different psychological temperaments and tendencies, that if, it, if, if I can't feel it, I won't get it. Now, that may not be true for everybody. But I've, I've learned that and then somehow I can come back again and I can feel that I have in different 
ways to come back to the more traditional way of saying it and really be able to embrace that more. And, and you know, somebody pointed out to me how beautiful it is to see ourselves as nature. I am of the nature. That, that using that word is, um, it's like, you know, it's, it's naming that sense that we are of nature. So you may find, you know, your own ways of connecting within the, those more sort of traditional um, ways of expressing this. I think the other problem I had with the more traditional formulation, which you can hear I've kind of dropped out in my translation, is the I am. Because there's something in me that's like, you know, I am, I am, I am. I am. Mm. <laughs> Isn't there something in the teaching about that? Uh, and not, not that we can't use that terminology and that language as a skillful means. It's not like, you know, it's not, not that, but I think that there's something about making it more accessible, more somehow the, the wisdom in it, when I, when I kind of took that out or kind of softened it again, because it's still there, isn't it? Because there's, you know, I lovingly remember. And, but it's something about this body, this body, rather than my body. Or, you know, and I often I would find I would do the I am and I just think, well, I always get like, well, where is that? Who is that? You know, I can't, it just doesn't, for me, it makes a distance somehow. So this body, what I've also found helpful with that is that it's so, it's easier for me to then, it's this body, this body, this body, this body, you know, it's like, the person I'm with, the people I, it's like this body. So there's a kind of, it's, there's a commonality, a universality, a, you know, same for you as for me, and a kind of appreciation of, you know, all of us being in this kind of mortal predicament. So, um, I, I, I want to consider just maybe just fairly briefly a few of the maybe um, uh, ways in which um, this practice can be a, a, a source of wisdom, compassion, and, and perhaps seeing that also as that there are different ways in or different sort of um, ways of connecting with it and different, different benefits. Um, yeah, so when I reread the Sutta the last few days, I found that one of the things that really struck me was the way that it was highlighting, I don't know how this kind of lands for you, but again, it's kind of an, uh, the wet sock style of teaching, where he's, you know, he's warning of the danger of the intoxication with youth, with health, with life, with what we like, the intoxication with ignoring the consequences of our actions. And, and how with all of this, this intoxication, which I understand to be, yeah, there's clinging and delusion and it's that, you know, 
being taken up by something. Intoxication to me implies probably not much mindfulness, if any. And probably quite a bit of delusion, possibly some greed and hatred in there as well. Um, um, And This, the, the kind of warning is kind of the unskillfulness, the suffering, the you know, for ourselves and others that comes out comes that comes out of that. And I know and I think I mean, yeah, intoxic intoxi- intoxication with youth. I definitely can recall some uh, uh, unskillfulness coming out of that one. You know, it's like, ooh, some regret there. Forgiveness as well, hopefully. And I want to read you a couple of things which... So the Buddha, the Buddha, it's this, I actually, sorry, don't know where this is from, but it's a little short thing. Mara, you know, everybody know Mara? <laughs> the tempter. Says, life is long, live like a milk-sucking babe. And the Buddha says, life is short. You should live as if your head were on fire. I I did. To me, maybe that speaks to the the greed, the greed types. My, that's like, <laughs> watch out. And then from Charlotte Joko Beck, wonderful, wonderful, a Zen teacher uh, from California, who you probably know, died fairly recently. She said, <laughs> "I seem to be naming this the wet sock tradition of teaching, but." I don't know what she would think of that, but anyway. From the moment of conception, our life is on its way out. And from a personal point of view, this is a tragedy. So we spend our life in a pointless battle to avoid that end. That misdirected battle is the real tragedy. It's direct, isn't it? It's very direct. So we can maybe have the courage to, you know, be confronted sometimes. Maybe that we need that from other people, from our teachers and friends, from the teachings. You know, it's like to be, yeah, that kind of thwack on the back of the thing. You know, it's like, wake up. So another... Um, aspect of this that I've found in practicing with it, and I don't know if you have, those of you who practice with this, and others have mentioned this to me, that through really reflecting on this, and yeah, there's a kind of out-breath, there's a kind of relief that, that comes from really taking in, at least to some degree, the truth of this. Isn't it? There's something in us that like, oh, no. what a relief. This, I, I, there is a possibility of living in a way where we're not fighting this. And so 
maybe you know we intuit that and sometimes you know we we can we can live that out and then sometimes we can't sometimes we do battle and we resist and and it just seems completely unacceptable so and of course we have to embrace that as well but not to let that be the end point is it and and i i think that that a practice like this like actually in the sutta it doesn't say daily i was really i thought oh it's actually often so that you know that can we can what would that mean you know often several times a day no every few seconds <laughs> a few times a year i don't know just often and he also says you know that this is for benefit benefit to benefit everybody you know, whether you're a monk or a nun or a lay person it's for everybody and there's something about isn't there a feeling or knowing or really understanding this being part of life, being part of nature, which when we really open to that, when we can uh, let the truth of that resonate in us, can, can bring so much, so much a sense of peace and also for me a sense of belonging, can a sense of we are part of everything we really we really are not separate we're part of this uh, life and somehow knowing that knowing that on the uh, about the body helps us to 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 open more to the mind and that's another again thing for you to to look into it's so interesting i feel like that, that maybe we're released a little bit or a lot from so much worrying about me and my mortality and I've just got to keep going, keep alive. And, you know, that when, our, when that fear, when that fear is faced and seen and kind of there's, I have a potential lot of energy that's, that's released for living, for joy, for compassion. So I want to read you a couple of things. Um, well, let's see. This wonderful we- um, piece or poem by Wendell Berry. The law that marries all things. The cloud is free only to go with the wind. The rain is free only in falling. The water is free only in its gathering together in its downward courses, in its rising into the air. In law is rest. If you love the law, if you enter singing into it as water in its descent. perhaps another benefit or in some way motivation for a practice like this is to help us to support us in facing loss and the fact that for um, maybe 
some losses, with some losses it's very, very, very hard, very difficult, very, very challenging. And um, a few years ago, my, my foster mother died and I found it so hard and that was one of the inspirations for working with this practice because I feel like I'm more frightened of losing other people than I am on my own death. But that, that there was something that I, that I knew I, I really needed help with and I, I hoped this practice would help me. And then more recently, my mother, my natural mother died and I also found it very, very difficult but I really, I felt the power of practice supporting me. And I know this was part of that. And so, now let's not wait. It's, it's kind of, you know, let's do it now. This, 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 this practice, this contemplation, so we can we can support ourselves and we can support others as well with, with, uh, with loss. Um, so another inspiration, maybe, um, I don't know if that's, sometimes when I talk about this, I feel it happening in the room. I'm not sure it's happening now for you. Or, but that there's a sense in which that contemplating this brings a lot of tenderness and almost a kind of intimacy and sense of connectedness with other people. And that that's another, I think, kind of benefit where we, we feel our, yeah, our common humanity, our common predicament. And that rather than separating us off from people when we you know, maybe we're so caught up in our, our fear and resistances that to the degree we can open to these truths of life, then to that degree also we can feel connected, like truly, truly connected. And that that can be a real opening also for, for wisdom and for, the, and for the knowing of oneness and of non-separation. Is it one teacher who would begin every talk? I don't know if it's Thich Nhat Hanh or someone who would always begin talks with brothers and sisters in aging, sickness and death. How lovely. <laughs> I didn't do that, but I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. So maybe just another a couple of things. Um, as I was contemplating this talk, I, well, I've been bike riding a bit. Sorry if those of you who can't ride bikes because you're on retreat. I'm sorry, but yeah, that joy is there for you, waiting for you later on. You have other joys. And I was noticing daffodils. We've, we've got one or two around here, haven't we? Daffodils. Oh, lovely. Bright yellow flowers and for me, that I've something I yeah very strong positive association with, and and I was really thinking about how this sense of you know f- 
mortality and and the brevity and the fragility of life. It's, it's like ah, oh, maybe one of the effects is that actually there's joy. There's like you know, just more open for joy because you have that. You know the lovely William Blake quote. You know, touching the joy as it flies. We live in eternity, sunrise. Kind of had that quality of, and and also because in Britain I would have I would have had already a couple of months of daffodils, and by the time I get back, all the daffodils will have gone. So I've been like a few days of daffodils here. <laughs> so it kind of heightened that sense of enjoyment and appreciating them and appreciating people for planting them and all that. So I think it can really, it can really be a way of of uh, deepening, strengthening our capacity for joy and for this sort of deep appreciation of life. You know, um, and I want to read you. Sorry, it's just evening reading you things. I hope you don't mind. Anyway. Um, I was talking with one of you about socks, socks, and um, I have some great socks on. You don't have to look, but they're rather lovely, I think, and they were <laughs> handmade for me by lovely Finnish yogi. Fin- fin- Finnish people seem to specialise in wonderful socks, uh, in my experience anyway, and um, I've been given lots of socks by people in Finland. <laughs> And these are a pair of them. And then uh, someone else was noticing there's some other, been some other very nice socks around. So I thought I'd read you this lovely poem about socks by Pablo Neruda. Mara Mori brought me a pair of socks which she knitted with her own sheep herder hands. Two socks, as soft as rabbits. I slipped my feet into them as if they were two... Oh, I can't read that. Two cases knitted with... Oh, that's what I'm sorry, I can't read my writing. Oops. (laughs) Two cases knitted with threads of twilight and the pelt of sheep. Outrageous socks, my feet became two fish made of wool... Two long sharks of ultramarine blue crossed by one golden hair. Two gigantic blackbirds, two cannons. My feet were honoured in this way by these heavenly socks. They were so beautiful that for the first time my feet seemed to me unacceptable, like two decrepit firemen, firemen unworthy of that embroidered fire, of those luminous socks. Nevertheless, I resisted the sharp temptation to save them as schoolboys keep fireflies, as scholars collect sacred documents. I resisted the wild impulse to put them in a golden cage and each day give them birdseed and chunks of pink melon. Like explorers in the jungle who hand over the rare green deer to the roasting spit and eat it without sorry, with remorse, I stretched out my feet and pulled on the magnificent socks and then my shoes. 
And the moral of my ode is this. Beauty is twice. Beauty and what is good, doubly good, when it's a matter of two woolen socks in winter. So, lastly, perhaps another benefit or uh, inspiration or encouragement to engage with this teaching, this practice, is, again, the way that uh, it can help us clarify our priorities and remember, help us remember what is truly important and what we want to give our attention to, what we want to give our life to, you know, for this this brief moment. And the way that that can can bring some vague spiritual urgency, it's like inspiration, it's kind of... And again, if we can open to that in the right way, you know, not as a kind of pressure or a kind of, you know, someone running after you with a stick. <laughs> Although again, maybe that's sometimes helpful. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> and... Uh, I love this. This is I learned this from Stephen Batchelor. I think maybe it comes from Tibetan teachings. A question, a question. Since death is certain and the time of death uncertain, what should I do? Since death is certain and the time of death uncertain, what should I do? So, yeah. Hmm. So, I think, hmm. Hmm. Oh, I, th- I think I would like to, to um, just spend a little bit of time inviting you to reflect with me on these Five daily recollections that just feels like an appropriate. Feels like what's sort of what's what's next. So, just invite you, if you wish, to. Um, I'll just. I'm just going to read through. I'm just going to say them a few times and. Just invite you to. Uh, just be with that as you wish, and just notice. Just notice what happens in your mind, in your heart. And seeing if you can sort of receive this as a blessing. As a blessing from the Buddha.
I am of the nature to grow old. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember this body is aging. I am of the nature to get ill. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember this body is vulnerable to illness. I am of the nature to die. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember this body will die. All that is dear to me will change and vanish. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember Loss is part of life. I am the owner of my karma. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember to meet this moment with wisdom.
so thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.